Welcome to the Lighthouse Writers Workshop podcast, because sometimes what a writer needs most is other writers, even virtually. Write Denver is a lighthouse program that encourages our city's residents to express themselves through writing. Those works are then shared with the community in creative, engaging ways. On February 6th, Write Denver participants, including vendors from the Denver Voice, shared work they created during a community writing walk last fall. Their pieces were also published in a special issue of The Voice. Welcome to Lighthouse. This is a very exciting uh, collaboration that Lighthouse has been doing for the past couple months with uh, the Denver Voice. Um, This is Sarah Harvey. She's uh, the Denver Voice's editor. So the Denver Voice, some of you may have seen it downtown. Um, We've got some of our vendors here tonight. Do you guys want to raise your hands? Please. Vendors? So it's it's the paper that you guys see people selling downtown. We're what you call we're what's called a street paper. We're a nonprofit program with two components. We're a nonprofit journalistic effort, and then we're also an employment program. We hire people experiencing homelessness and poverty to sell the paper. So if you see someone downtown selling one of those papers and you buy one, that money is actually going to them. It's like their own little micro business, and then our vendors use that income to pay for. Basic needs, housing, um, bus tickets, transportation, all of that. And then the other half of it is our newspaper, which mostly covers news about social justice, homelessness, poverty in the Denver area and along the Front Range. Um, But we also publish content from our vendors as well. Part of our mission is to create a dialogue about homelessness and poverty to break down some of those stereotypes and start a conversation. So next time you see one of our guys downtown, at least stop and say hi. (laughs) <laughs> so uh, Lighthouse uh, in July of last year started uh, this, um, this uh, program called Write Denver and uh, Write Denver what, what the mission is is we go into uh, certain neighborhoods in the city and we try to get uh, non-writers or people who don't really identify with writing uh, to uh, share their stories with us and we uh, post them online or we do um, recordings. We also do um, installations that uh, the the people in the neighborhood uh, create and um, themselves. And so in October, uh, we did this uh, collaboration with The Voice, where it was a uh, free walking writing workshop where we uh, all met here, uh, the vendors and the lighthousers and people, um, you know, in the public. Uh, Whoever saw the event and wanted to, to, to come, it's all free and open. Um, and then we went, we stopped at three different locations um, in about a two and a half uh, mile radius around Lighthouse. So we went right across the street to uh, the Satire Lounge to write about the mural of uh, Pete. Pete, uh, the satire guy, the Greek Greek town man, <laughs> uh, Pete Kantos. Greek town, man. I don't even know. Uh, so maybe he identifies like that. Maybe he doesn't. Um, so then, and then after that, we went to um, uh, Cheeseman Park. We wrote there. And we went to um, one of the urban gardens that the Denver Botanic Gardens um, runs over on, I think it was 11th and Elizabeth. And then we came back here and did like a little feedback session. So then everyone was encouraged to submit to The Voice, submit their work to Sarah, and then um, now this February issue of The Voice, uh, the, there's this, it's a beautiful issue, but the, the, the insert of it is this, you know, people that work, the vendors 
who got in and the, the lighthouse and the public people who got in um, are now published in this 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 issue. Mm-hmm. And there's some free copies back here on the pool table, so please feel free to take one. You can check it out. So that's why we're here tonight, to uh, celebrate this collaboration. Um, we are Right Denver, and uh, we've been talking to Sarah and The Voice to do something um, hopefully mid-year of this year. Um, another another collaboration. This one we want to... Uh, there's uh, Does anybody know Sunny Lawson Park um, in Five Points? The Sunny Lawson Park... Um, has this great Denver roots. Um, the first uh, black pharmacist is that that's where they get the name from. Sonny Lawson, this this man, uh, first black pharmacist of Denver, and um, he or, or the the park used to just be open, right? And um, to anyone who wanted to play, as the softball park, Jack Kerouac had made this famous passage of this park in On the Road. Um, Neil Cassidy. Uh, lived across the street from it. Um, and people would used to play ball at this park for decades. And then it became, you know, uh, but after a while, the park came into disrepair. Um, you know, the, uh, the city saw it as, like, turning into, like, a blight on the city. So what they did was they cleaned it up, but when they did, they um, surrounded it and locked it down. So now no one can, the park really isn't in use, and um, no one can really go there to play ball anymore. So what Sarah and I want to do is we want to do this event called Unlocking Lawson. <laughs> and uh, we want to unlock the park. I don't know if it's going to be for the day, for you know, this thing, but we want to you know, get, get in there. We want to collaborate. The writers there, everyone is invited, you know, um, the vendors, and we want to do a writing workshop inside the park and open it back up to the people. So um, look for that. So we're going to go uh, probably back and forth from uh, the the Lighthouse people and the vendors reading. Um, But before we do, I'm going to read a couple of testimonials from, um, from the day. Okay? Cool. Thanks, Sarah. All right. Um, So the first one uh, is from a lighthouser. Um, Her name is Ashley Tiedem. This is what Ashley said about uh, the collaboration in October. I think the best part about the Right Denver Walk was the chance we had to connect with people who exist outside our established lighthouse group. The walk gave us a chance to interact with another set of writers. And that set of writers, the vendors for the Denver Voice, had great insight and different ways of looking at what we were writing about. I think the participants all learned from each other, and we are better writers with a a wider perspective for it. And then this one uh, by Steve Deming. Steve Deming says, I attended a Write Denver walk in which several several vendors from the Denver Voice also participated. We walked to a secluded garden, found seats on wooden benches, and wrote in the warm sunshine. The resident cat, which had been described earlier by our lighthouse guide, crawled out of the dense thicket of plants right on cue. You guys remember that? That was wild. Um, I looked up from my free writing and watched a voice vendor sitting in the shade across from me. He wrote intensely, and I envied his passion. I wondered what he was thinking, so I switched to writing from his point of view as I imagined it. I sketched a flash fiction of life on the street, evoking poverty and conflict with authority. Although we didn't talk, the vendor and I 
communed as writers, each in his own world, blending imagination with experience and creating new worlds and language. A few days later, I saw the same vendor selling the voice on the street. Our eyes met in recognition and we smiled. I bought the paper and said I liked the poetry section. He opened the paper to that page for me. I read the poems, and as I stood there talking with the vendor, I recalled that Sarah, the editor of The Voice, had also participated in the Right Denver Walk, and that she invited submissions to the paper. I decided to write a piece for The Voice. I am now working on that piece. The next time I see the vendor, he may sell me a paper with my work in it. That would be a gratifying exchange for both of us. Um, all right, so <clears throat> the first... You, you, you get a little bit more of me, I'm sorry to say. Because uh, of the first... Uh, the first um, uh, writer, uh, she's she's traveling right now. Um, her name is uh, Sherry Ledoux, um, and so I'm going to read that uh, in her stead, um, if I can find it. There we go. <clears throat> so this is called Times Change. I'm at the Satire Lounge on East Colfax Avenue and Ray Street, founded 50 years ago by Pete a local restaurant tycoon. This this establishment is a testament to hard work and dedication. On a side of the building is a mural depicting Pete when he started his business and Pete today. Pete of yesteryear looks about 22, young and eager to begin life. The other half of the mural shows Pete as as he is today, heavier, older, but with the same sparkle in his eyes. I don't know him, but I bet he has some stories to tell. I've heard Bob Dylan played here in the early 1960s. Can you imagine what that must have been like? I notice his shirt collar is loose in the painting of him as a young man, while older Pete is wearing a tie. Is he more respected now? Perhaps he has a a duty to appear more formal? Or was his lack of a tie in his youth indicative of a desire to rebel a bit? I remember that desire to rebel. The painting reminds me of a recent visit to the Colorado School of Mines. One of my students gave my son and and our family a tour of the campus. He's already been accepted, so that made our visit even more special. Our student's tour guide shared stories about the explosions that have occurred on campus, the importance of free food, and why certain professors are more popular than others. It brought me back to my youth when I was idealistic and driven, ready to change the world. Have I changed the world? I had children, and I see the many wonderful things they can accomplish. Is that my contribution? I hope I, hope I have more in me. Life seems to follow a cycle. In my teens, I so wanted to fit in. I've never been the cool kid, but I sure did try. In my 20s, I wanted to light the world on fire, eschew my parents' traditional thinking, convince my older friends to stop working on their houses and start seeing the world. I also wanted to be successful. I was looking for confirmation of my worth. My 30s were all about babies. I couldn't get enough of them and finally had two of my own. It was life-changing for me. Those little creatures moved me away from selfishness. I would sacrifice anything for them. I also found the one thing I could do really well. Parenting filled me with such a sense of satisfaction and dedication. My 40s were more about seeking the truth. What am I doing here? Do I have a purpose? Suddenly I realized that there are so many others on this planet who need help, attention, and love. My mission changed from my family's needs to the needs of others. My 50s, only just begun, have been rocky. I'm having an identity crisis because I'm not sure that I've done anything of note. I was great in school, got all kinds of awards and accolades, but since then, life's been pretty quiet. That's who I am, a pretty quiet person. 
Now that fifty is not only looming, but here I am painfully aware that there is only more that there is more time behind me than in front. And when you reach that point, all those things that you thought you'd do one day suddenly rush in. For me, one one of those things is writing. I feel I must write, whether it's a children's book, a screenplay, articles, whatever. I don't know that anybody wants to read what I write, but still, I must do it. My hope one day is that someone will read what I wrote and say, ah, I get it too. Thanks. Thanks, Cherie. So <clears throat> up next, we have uh, Randy Keller. And I think, Sarah, you're going to read for Randy. Uh, Randy Keller grew up in Colorado. He has been a vendor since 2010. Of the Right Denver Workshop, Randy had this to say. It was invigorating. It was much more than what I expected. Here's Sarah to read for Randy. And this is Randy right over here. Uh, This is called Rumbling and Roaring. Rumbling, roaring, quiet and contemplative. Worries about internal lag versus calm. The lack of concern about inferiorities. A need to live versus a need to prepare for the hereafter. The need of a life versus no concern to have one. Insanity versus sanity. Noise versus more quiet. More potential certainty versus uncertainty. Unresolved, yet the same threat and mystery remain that may disappear the other resolve. Too much protection versus the meaningful unprotected. Fear to terror, to numb to terror, to torment, to revenge, to abandonment, to nothing, or a potential renewal. Thanks, Randy. Um, <clears throat> next up, we have Karen, Karen Belts. Uh, Karen is a poet turned novelist from Dallas. She is very honored to be here and to have been chosen to read her submission. Let's welcome Karen. And uh, a couple of our readers have a, a couple poems, so do you want to do both? Uh, yeah, do both, sure. Perfect, sure. thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, And thank you, Lighthouse, because this is like my creative home. We don't have anything like this in Dallas, for sure. This is Pete's mural on the corner of Colfax and Race. Pete's hair is black and slicked back, per the fashion of 1962. I can tell by the way he grooms his hair that he is a proud man. He wants to be sure that the girls notice him, and they do. His brown eyes and confident smile look forward. They say, follow me into a future of laughter and love, lots of love. And so time passes. Now Pete's dark hair is a snow-capped mountaintop. His sleek cheekbones are round and filled out from a life well-lived. All the waxings and wanings, the highs and the lows, the pinnacles and the valleys. The eyes tell it all. They never change In this blink of an eye that we call life, from the dawn to the dusk of it, Pete's eyes remain the same. They look forward to his next great adventure, toward more laughter and love, toward that great unknown, as life continues to scuttle along the corner of Colfax and Race.
And the second one is the poem about Cheeseman Park, which, as Dan said, is on top of a cemetery. So uh, that was the biggest surprise for me. I'm standing on a cemetery, okay? It's called The Physical Reclamation of a Thing. Deep tree roots drink the water soaked in blood and history, bones and bribes. Here, Cheeseman Park stands above time and exploration in hurried hushes, a blur of stolen moments. Youth and beauty scuttle toward the grave. On this sunny day, people walk by, sit on rusty benches, talk to strangers who soon become friends, chat, work, read, move, breathe. But in the end, we all drop, like the leaves on the trees, drinking in blood and history, bones and bribes. Thank you, Karn. All right. <clears throat> Up next, we have uh, Brian Dibley. After seven years as a Denver Voice vendor, Brian recently reconciled with his brother and moved back to New York to live with his family. His, he credits the voice with empowering him to make changes in his life. Um, so Brian isn't, uh, he's in New York now. Is that right? Yeah. So um, I get to read uh, two, of, two of Brian's poems, but I'm going to, Um, Just read one and then save the next one for later. So here's Brian's uh, first poem. It's called The Garden. Collective masses merging on a common goal to feed all people. A free-thinking group using Mother Nature and all her tools set before by generations of our ancestry. On a corner plot of land, giving the community a a fresh sense of caring for the land and for our friends, neighbors, and the world all around us, a garden bearing fruit for all to share, giving hope new meaning in many lives. Thank you, Brian. All right. Our next reader is Jordan Prochnow. Where's Jordan? There we go. Uh, <laughs> Jordan uh, is a junior at Thomas Jefferson High School, and this is her first reading. Q. She hopes to write more in the future about personal experiences in order to create positive change throughout the world. Let's welcome Jordan. So I have two parts. The first one is about uh, Cheeseman Park, and the second is about the community garden. I look at all of the laughing people, and I'm reminded of how I got here. The last time I was here, I was a child, my long legs propelling me faster and faster along the dirt path. I'm haunted by the voices of my former friends, their laughs echoing in the breeze. Those people, the ones that I thought of as friends, are gone, mere ghosts like the fog that was my former self. I see a young girl on the monkey bars, giggling, and I want to tell her not to change. I want to tell her to be careful, but to never be afraid of falling. Though childhoods are too short for heartbreak and chaos, these things are inevitable. Although we can't escape the heartbreak and chaos, we have the option of deciding what we do in their aftermath. We can sail along without the fear of failure, or we can fall, leaving ourselves to pick up the pieces in the end. This time, I want to take life as it comes. And then here's the second one. I never considered myself to be a flower. 
I was always plain, a weed in everyone else's flower pots. A weakling, a sprout that never quite received enough sun to grow. People would tell me I was wrong, to see myself how everyone else did, but nothing changed. I was a barren countryside, a meadow that had been scorched after a wildfire, though everyone around me was vibrant. Then out of the blue, I began to notice the details, which had seemed to be mundane. I started to see the colors in myself, and the sunlight began to stream through my blood. I never considered myself to be a flower, but now I think I do. Thank you, Jordan. Um, this last year, uh, Lighthouse uh, was a part of the, um, the internship program uh, that Goodwill is putting on called Bringing Back the Arts. And uh, Jordan was one of our, it was the first intern um, that we've uh, gotten through that program. And she, she was amazing. She did amazing work here. Um, she did like, you know, 100 hours of, of, uh, of work at Lighthouse while, you know, juggling, you know, her extremely busy life. So we're uh, very thankful that Jordan uh, could go on this um, walk with us. So um, let's see. Next up, here we go. <clears throat> Gary Davis. Uh, Gary has been a vendor off and on since 2008 and is now a participant in Denver's recovery court program. Uh, quote, for so long I've been uh, dependent on society. Now I feel like I have something to give back. Let's welcome Gary Davis. Hi. Hi. Yeah, this is a poem I wrote when we was on, uh, in Community Garden on a little tour of it. One is nearer to God's heart in a garden than anywhere else on earth. What a great place to meditate on the power and love of God. We are his creation, like all these beautiful plants and flowers. Oh, take me back to the original Garden of Eden, undeblemished by sin and decay. For he walks with me, and he talks to me. When I hear the melody of the birds flying over the garden, I can sense his presence when I behold the beauty all around me. The leaves on the trees changing to different shades of color, the fruit of the vine, pretty flowers and, and grasses and trees and lilies. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. All right. Up next, we have India Ogba. Where's India? There we go. All right. India Ogba works as a biology researcher at the University of Colorado. A good day is any day spent writing in the company of loved ones, she says. Let's welcome India. Um, so I wrote this uh, in response to Cheeseman Park 2. I think we all sort of had the same reaction to finding out we were standing on bodies. Um, <laughs> um, and so I titled it, Do Some Digging. <laughs> when I made the move to Denver a few years ago, I expected to be drawn in by the mountains, the promise of adventure, and the sheer majesty of them. Instead, I was immediately struck by the parks, their beauty, their availability, and their distinct personalities. There is something at once refreshing and calming about a park, something in the smell and the feel of the grass. There's also a certain freedom that parks invite. You could be standing on your head, lost in thought for hours, or simply taking a walk, and all those things would be acceptable. On this sunny day, 
this sunny October day. Cheeseman Park is the picture of ideal. People biking, walking, families and friends hanging out. It's hard to imagine that this place was once a cemetery. I'm trying to imagine the mood in 1907 when the park, with all its name changes, was founded, 49 years after Denver was established. I wonder what prompted city officials to declare the cemetery run down and an eyesore. Perhaps you're wondering, too. <laughs> the real story of Cheeseman Park's evolution and the route to its physical reclamation is full of intrigue, money changing hands, and bodies being moved, or not. <laughs> but since we'll never know exactly what city officials from the last century were thinking, unless you Wikipedia it, <laughs> I'm going to take some liberties with the brief history. Denver, 1907. Quentin Farside, Denver's newly elected mayor, knew he would have to do something to solidify votes for the next election term. People were beginning to grow restless about the number of men, women, and children who were constantly coughing from, the work, from working the mines. The pay for mining might have made a halfway decent livelihood, but the miners' lives were short. The bodies had to go somewhere. But Prospect Hill was inconveniently close to Tobias, the Honorable Pritchard's home, and he got an earful more than once on the nuisance of having the cemetery right by his house. It frightened the servants and spooked the guests enough to attend to affect attendance at his annual gala. <laughs> Farside proposed that the cemetery be turned into a park, a proper city park. He hoped this would put him in good standing with Pritchard and boost his reputation with the community. Of course, not everyone was happy. It took years for the bodies to be respectfully removed to a different site. Overcrowded cemeteries also were not Quentin's concern. The move worked. Mayor Farside was elected for four consecutive terms. <laughs> I took some liberties there. <laughs> Looking at the park today, considering its partly dark beginnings, I have to say, if there, is, if there was a Mayor Farside, I'm glad he made his move. Cheeseman Park is a nice place to contemplate life, go for a run and pass time with a loved one. Close to the gazebo, I can see dredged up flower beds. The dark soil against the bright green grass ominously suggests that I do some digging, literally and metaphorically, to discover what lies beneath the surface. Thank you, India. All right, so up next we have Lynn Farquhar. Uh, Lynn is a Denver native, a used bookseller, and avid reader who's been contributing book reviews to the Denver Voice the past few years and is about to start her very first Lighthouse workshop this month. Awesome. Let's welcome Lynn. Um, I decided to write about Cheeseman Park as well, and mine is titled A Nostalgic Walk in the Park. On this particularly warm day in October, Throngs of folks are getting in what is possibly their last glorious, gloriously sunny day in the park before the chilly days of fall. A volleyball game is underway. A young family is doing their best to cajole their little girl dressed in rust and ochre into an adorable pose for a photo against a pillar with the last remaining rose garden of the year in the background. She'll have none of it, though, preferring to play hide-and-seek behind Daddy's leg. It's hard to imagine this place as the cemetery it once was back in the late 19th century or after years of neglect, how it looked when they established a pub public park here after disinterring thousands of souls. Back in the late 60s, there were musical productions staged right here in this pavilion. I especially remember the sound of music. 
These musicals were always free to the public, and picnicking crowds would come out and fill the whole park, come rain or shine, as full-blown Broadway-like performances began at dusk, and people would be humming or singing the show's songs leaving the park on those nights. I noticed fresh pink rose petals strewn around the inside of the pavilion, and a group of teenagers, all dressed up, the young men in dapper red and black outfits with black hats, and girls in mostly black dresses surrounding a young woman in a brilliant crimson gown. They head over toward a black stretch limo parked by a stunningly beautiful large tree aflame with golden color. Then another smaller party walks by and a white hummer stretch limo pulls up for them, the young lady and her entourage dressed mainly in shades of violet. For months, I've been seeing these kids celebrating or taking photos for their quinceañeras, which must be what this good... What is going on here? Are there still spirits here from the cemetery days? And if so, what do they make of all these people? Playing frisbee, practicing yoga, chatting on their cell phones, or speeding along on those red rental bikes? There goes that family with the little girl in fall colors. I wonder if she'll live in Denver into her 60s like me. I try to picture what transformations will have happened to Cheeseman Park by 2072. Will there ever be free shows here again that she will be swept away watching with her kids or grandkids? Will she ever hear anything like the sound of Argentinian accordion and see graceful tango dancers practicing their steps in the pavilion like I did one, t- one sultry summer evening? Or see young women celebrating their quinceañeras in fluffy gowns with their friends and families? Will that gorgeous tree still be there? I hope so. Thanks, Lynn. All right, so I'm going to read another poem by Brian, Brian Dibley. Um, This one is called Hands. My hands being my guide, once very useful, hands careful, calm, and steady, now riddled with pain, barely able to write. My mind tells me one thing, my hands say another. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. All right. And our uh, final reader of the evening is Sumi Lee. Where is Sumi? There we go. Um, <clears throat> Sumi has been a Lighthouse member since 2011 when she moved back to Colorado after spending 10 years in the East Coast. She has written poetry most of her life, but blames Lighthouse for inspiring her to experiment with writing personal essays. Let's welcome Sumi. <clears throat> Um, I wrote about the community garden, and I think during the walk we learned that the um, garden has gone through five iterations in its existence, and then I thought about how I lived in five different cities in the past ten years, and that's what brought up for me to write this essay. So it's called Coming Home. I've walked through the Congress Park neighborhood many times and thought I knew it well. The quietly unique houses, the tall antennas sprouting from a park, and how hard it can be to spot that blind corner on York as you try try to cross the street near the Botanic Gardens. But it wasn't until a neighborhood walk in late October that I discovered that there is a secret garden on 11th and Elizabeth hidden behind a blind curve behind the water treatment building. This garden has gone through five iterations in its existence. 
It's unclear how much the soil in the garden now resembles the soil from its first iteration in 1960 at 11th and York. But I'm skeptical as I look around. Kale was probably not a trendy vegetable back then. (laughs) I picture some of the best crops and plants from that first garden being uprooted just when the pH balance of the soil was finally made right, no weeds in sight, and the bug problem finally cured. That's when the gardeners get the notice. Time to move. I can almost hear the sweet curse words right now. Now some pots are lusciously green and full even in late October, though some are showing signs of early winter disarray. Plots scattered in brown stalks, yellowing leaves, its soil tough and dry. Maybe these dying plots already know that the next move is coming, and they know not to even try. I, too, have had the soil beneath my feet change more than a few times, sometimes by choice and one time when I wasn't ready. Living in five different cities in the span of one decade, I knew to save the boxes I had just unpacked and didn't fret over posters that taped slightly askew. They were going to come down soon, probably. So it should have felt like a part of a mastered routine when I once again unfolded the boxes laminated in five layers of tape to ship my belongings from New York City to Denver in 2010. I knew the practical necessity of the move. I had graduated from law school with no job at the height of the economic downturn, and I was paying rent that was a steal for New York City, but a downright robbery for anywhere else. (laughs) But even though the move made practical sense, my heart still sank leaving New York City. And more detriment than leaving was this. I wasn't moving to just some other city. I was moving back home. I had earned my ticket to move out to the East Coast at a young age, and I was supposed to not only get out there, but stay out there. I wasn't supposed to come back home, at least not yet. So even though moving back home was my choice, my two checked bags and a heaping carry-on at DIA felt like a sign of defeat. Even when I finally found a job, transitioned out of my parents' house, and moved into an apartment on Capitol Hill, I still couldn't throw away the boxes. I didn't even bother hanging up any art. I'm a city girl, and I lived in New York City. What is this, and what am I doing here? I'll be out before I know it. For the first few years, I searched through the neighborhoods for the rush of something new. I stood under the roaring speakers at Beta, went to every nuanced local food festival that all seemed to end with me eating the ubiquitous Mexican corn, (laughs) and biked between the downtown museums. But they all paled in comparison to the New York nights that I loved. I defined Denver by not what it was, but what it was not. If I were you, I would leave this small place, even my mother would say. You belong out there, not here. Then, about a year ago, I found myself on a date with a man who had also lived in New York City and moved to Denver about six months prior. We were enjoying what I thought was a nice meal, but he complained about how the pulled pork he was eating was not as good as that one Cuban place in the East Village. (laughs) I'd been to the said East Village restaurant, and I knew how good that was. I lived in a one-bedroom apartment in Greenwich Village, you know, he said. Do you know what a big deal that was, to have achieved that status? I smiled because I knew, and because I saw how I must have sounded for the first few years that I was here. (laughs) I knew that the food he was eating wasn't the best, but that's not why I was there. I was there to get to know him, but I could see that he could not get past the pork to get to know me. (laughs) Give it a year and see how you feel, I said. 
you will either see Denver for the amazing place that it is, or you will leave. I know it feels like an exile in suburbia right now, but you will never actually see Denver if you keep comparing it to New York. I was as surprised as anyone to hear myself defending Denver on a first date. <laughs> so, what had happened in the fa- so what had happened in the past five years? Somewhere between the initial shock of moving back home and realizing how exhausted I had been in New York, I let Colorado surprise me. I let myself stare at a sunset for as long as it takes to see where one color might begin and another end. I let myself get overwhelmed by those first few minutes of being on top of a 14er. I let myself be sublimely happy while eating a breakfast burrito. (laughs) I let myself slow down and actually look people in the eye and look myself in the eye. I let myself laugh, laugh in a cab ride home after a night out, and I let myself admit that I had a lot of fun. So much fun, in fact, that I now consider the possibility that maybe I can unpack the boxes for good. <laughs> because this is my truth. There is no shame in coming home. There is no defeat in experiencing the world out there and choosing to go back to the place you once were with a new set of eyes. Home is a place you earn. If you can endure the growing pains, it will provide you with new insight. Sometimes home is a choice that you didn't know you would make, but Denver is the place I've earned to be. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Sumi. Uh, Let's give another big round of applause for all our readers. Lighthouse would like to thank the following generous donors that make events like this possible. The Scientific, Cultural, and Facilities District, the National Endowment for the Arts and Artworks, Colorado Creative Industries, Denver Arts and Venues, and many others. For more information about Lighthouse Writers Workshop, please go to lighthousewriters.org.